All right, welcome back to Fright Central. And uh, today we're gonna do part two of our Cabinet of Curiosities. And I'm back here again with Keck. Uh, so we're on episode five, Pikmin's Model. Uh, this was a uh, short story based on Lovecraft. And it is directed by Keith Thomas, who did uh, The Vigil 2019 and that Firestarter remake in 2022. Oh, he did a Firestarter remake? Yeah. That uh, was um, screenwriter, producer, and all not very good. No, but uh, you know, very hey, unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and just to be um totally clear, um, our last cast we um talked about the first half of Cabinet of Curiosities. I just want to be clear, they all came out on Netflix at the same time. This wasn't like four episodes and then four episodes, just to give like Cabinet like the proper and due respect because of our limitations using the Zoom software, we uh, decided to do these in two parts. There wasn't like actually a part one and a part two. This is just our part one and part two. Also, so I just, I, yeah, I also did it this way, uh, even if we could record longer, just because I don't think anybody wants to listen to us for an hour and 20 minutes, so that it breaks up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey. Very, very well. I don't know if uh, anyone wants to listen to us at all. Plus, but uh <laughs> we've got, we've got some We're not advertising, we've got we get some listeners. So. <laughs> anyway, um yeah, back so, to uh, uh Pikmin's model. Uh this uh starred uh Ben Barnes. Uh he was a painter at um this art school. And uh, he's pretty he's pretty good painter by himself, but then uh and it of course it takes place in uh Arkham. And uh, that's where, like, that was, like, the first mention when they talked about the uh, Mesotonic uh, University and Arkham. That's when I was like, oh, shit, this is Lovecraft, like, without even knowing the story. Yeah, I recognized it was killing me because I could not remember where I recognized the actor from who played the artist. And then it hit me that I knew him from a, another movie that I had seen uh, years ago called Margin Call, but most recently he played the um, villain in The Punisher. Yes, and he uh, was in Westworld. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yes, he was in Westworld. Yeah, that that's another, but, but I remembered him from Punisher, and bang, it just hit me when you said uh, Westworld. And then, of course, the great uh, Crispin Glover uh, yeah. kind of comes in and... Uh, his performance, I mean, he was Crispin Glover, the eccentric Crispin Glover that we all know and love, and uh, he was fucking brilliant. Yeah. And it's crazy because last night I was telling you that I did not have clear recollection of this episode, and I skimmed through it today, and I was just thinking, how the fuck could you have not remembered this episode and i've realized i did like fully remember the entire episode it was just the very end that i was a little bit confused about because the ending of this episode totally took me by storm like i it, like i had no idea that like it was going to go there but like do you oh, want to yeah. give like your initial like reaction to this you want to give your little synopsis to this well yeah i'll go through the story real quick uh yeah basically he becomes friends uh with uh crispin glover at art school and his uh paintings are of his like 
horrific works of art uh start memorizing Crispin Glover's yeah, horrific yeah. Of art. yeah everybody else is just like your average art school student trying to make it trying to impress the dean trying to um, impress the administration to go on to you know their you know uh and they're all kind of like um upper class gentlemen i think this is i think it is it supposed to take place in the united states or england i was uh, not sure on that um, well it's massachusetts so it's, it's oh it is yeah. in massachusetts yeah. okay so oh yeah it is in new england that's right yeah. they make they make uh mention that crispin glover's family um he had like a gigantic inheritance. His family had been living there for like generations and they were very, very, very wealthy. And it allowed him, they mentioned that he was able to travel the globe uh, based on like his great wealth. So I think it starts off with like a little bit of envy for his character. And then they realize that his art is completely unique. From yeah. everyone else's yeah it, it jumps 17 years after the first uh initial uh meeting and uh and ben barnes this character who's now like a museum curator uh who's still like you know disturbed by uh pixman work uh, and has dreams about it uh pickman's now a successful artist uh he like shows up and like visits them at like work and like you know and he's like dude like I don't want to put your shit on fucking. Well, wait, wait, wait one sec. Just slow down real quick because there is something that happens. So, yeah, you like you like you said, it jumps 17 years. But right before that jump, it gets to a point where the two of them kind of bond. Like he yeah. actually wants Pinkman to be a uh, part of their scene he saw some of his work and he was intrigued by it because the uh faculty the administration they were kind of like uh very critical of pinkman's work and so he actually goes out with pinkman pinkman invites him to his house and at his house he sees not only like some of the work that pinkman has not shown anyone else but he tells him the story of like his family who apparently like were cannibals and like were eating like human flesh and like he is like morbidly disturbed and kind of like just storms out of there, tells everybody, you know, this motherfucker is crazy. Boom. Fast forward 17 years later. Sorry to interrupt. God. No, let's go. I, I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> I just wanted to I make, like, I just wanted to like, yeah, uh, be, yeah cause he goes over to his house yeah. and Penguin's like, yeah, like, can you hear my ancestors? Can you hear my kin under the earth as they eat the flesh of like, you know, and he's just like hearing like he's having like visual and auditory hallucinations as he's telling them this story and yeah. the guy leaves like severely traumatized yeah and then he just kind of like shows up again one day he finds out that the guy has like an exhibit or something and has become like an established artist and when he finds out that he's going to be in town the guy is just bugged out that they're even in proximity to one another. Right? Yeah, he he shows up at his because uh, he's a museum curator now, and like Pigman's, yeah, he wants to show off his work to everyone, and Pigman wants to stop it. But Pigman's like, no, I want you to come back to my house and see my work. 
and like if if you don't agree then then i'll then i'll leave it alone and i'll leave you out of out of your life and yeah. like then he that's when he's like yeah my my uh these aren't based on my imagination but it's like real life scenes and scenes of the future and like and that's when like a, a demon like depicted one of the paintings like uh comes after like he like they get into a little scuffle and like he attacks them well he just them. shows up at one point yeah. he just shows up at the guy's house on an ounce. no he showed up at like the, the cemetery where he was painted and then he invites him back to his oh he shows up to um ben yeah that, yeah, yeah i i hear what you're yeah. saying like yeah I, I like, forgot, yeah he yeah, 17 like, years later, like yeah. he just kind of actually goes to this guy's home on an yeah. yeah, I think I think he actually gets home from work and finds that his wife and son are like alone in his house with Pinkman there, yeah. who he had no idea like was going to show up. So like, he's like charming his wife and everything too. Yeah. yeah. So this was like deeply traumatic. He found out that he was like talking to his son as well. And his son, like the night after he talks to him, his son like wakes up screaming with like terrible nightmares. Yeah. So uh, there is now like a real hostile relationship the two of these guys yeah. and Crispin Glover's character who is a threat to this guy he doesn't seem like he wants to harm this guy like he wants to he wants this guy to feel his work he wants this guy to come into his world he you know he wants to be friends with this dude but the other guy is like just so repulsed yeah. by Pinkman's art and he has no idea what is like truly inspiring sky yeah which leads us sort of to the conclusion where uh in like a final confrontation if you will when he's he like burning decides, all his artwork and like yeah like he yeah. basically decides like yo like this guy is too dangerous his art um has sort of like um if you remember the film um uh, in the mouth of madness with Sam yes. Neil, where yes. like they're yeah, he's like his art is like corrupting people. He goes to his house, tries to destroy it, and well, a creature comes out of a well, and the rest is all gravy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just nuts. The creature is, of course, very Lovecraftian, um, you know, and uh it was fucking awesome. Yeah, and then even the end when he goes back home to see his wife and son and, like, what he discovers when he gets back home is real fun. Yeah, wasn't his, like, wife, like, roasting his son in the oven? Yeah, and it, had, was like, depicted, it was depicted in one of the paintings. Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. all bleeding from their eyes, yeah. too, which is, like, sort of what happened in the Mouth of Madness when people would uh, read Trevor Kane's uh, novels. They would, like, uh, Sutter, Sutter Kane. Eyes. Southern Kane, Travis Kane. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's a, that's but, uh, yeah, so it was very, it was very, yeah, it reminded <laughs> me a lot of Mouth of Bandis, but instead of literature, it was uh, artwork. And, um, you know, of course, Mouth of Madness was, uh, had very Lovecraftian creatures in there and was uh, highly based on Lovecraft's work. So, you know, it, uh, like I said, it is all great. They also, fucking awesome episode. yeah i love this episode as yeah. well and then but then then the next one is what was the next one called dreams, dreams in a witch house 
Dreams in the Witch House. And who did this? Uh, Catherine Hardwick, who did, uh, the, I mean, she did the Twilight series, but she'd also done like, um, oh boy, what was it? No, I'm thinking of the wrong person. Uh, she did Lords of Dogtown, uh, the Red Riding Hood, uh, like uh, mystery horror uh, uh, series. And she did like, she did the first Twilight movie. This was sort of like a flagship episode. And what I mean by that is like when I saw like the previews for uh, Cabinet of Curiosity, like um, in the trailer, like this was the predominant episode that was like featured, at least in the trailer I saw. This episode I thought had the most like CGI in it. Um, you know, it had like the, uh, the evil witch who... I mean, I personally thought, like, I mean, the story is basically, like, when this guy's um, very young, this young boy, he loses his sister. And yeah. he is obsessed with the fact that he wasn't able to protect his sister. And later on in his life, someone says, like, I have a drug that will be able to take you into the beyond and you'll be able to see your sister again and talk to your sister. He does that. And then he becomes obsessed with the idea that he not only was able to see his sister, but he's going to bring her back. Yeah. He was able and to like bring, grab her and bring back part of her uh, dress. Yeah, like like, like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Like when she yeah. like pulled his hat out of the, of the dream, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it was something like that. So he realizes that like by using this drug and going into this world, but yeah. Um, like with anybody uh, experimenting with drugs in multiple dimensions where you try to pull entities through, ripples happen yeah and some, uh, you might bring back something that uh shouldn't uh come with as well yeah there is an evil witch and the witch like uh is able to deduce that they are twins and it's been like um well the witch um before she became like this evil witch uh she had works done she was like sort of like an artist and she had literature and stuff and people would like follow her works and she was killed at the witch trials was that yeah. that was like what happened to her she was like condemned at the witch trials and yeah. uh then there was like another guy who she was like friends with who like got transformed into like a little rodent yeah with the face <laughs> and it was, was a dj quails's face on, on the little rat yeah That's yeah, yeah. Was the most disturbing part about that episode that i liked him i liked him i i liked that little critter and yeah, he uh, ends up uh, running the room in the executed which is uh, yeah in a house of the executed witch so that's how they like brings her out of yeah the, they they bring yeah. they bring it together but yeah when he's doing this uh you know interdimensional or whatever you want to call it between worlds travel the witch senses that like oh you know um they're twins and it's been prophesized that like i'll be able to return based on certain conditions and she like is able to recognize that like this is like the perfect scenario for her and her little critter buddy to like return into like you know the world of the living and wreak havoc i i assume she wanted to come back she and wanted like, to like possess and, his body i think is yeah what it was uh but like he ends up like you know defeating her and uh and well, he, he ends up he, like 
semi defeating her. I don't know. You don't really get. Yeah, it was a uh, he. Uh, his he was his uh, sister ends up, uh, you know, passing peacefully, and then uh, um, also kills the uh, witch who uh, dies peacefully herself. But that's when no, the th- his sister was able to kill the witch. That's what happened. The witch yeah. died. Yeah, they yeah, were his able to kind of like sacrificed herself and yeah. said like. Because briefly, he was able to bring his sister back yeah. into the world. And she ended up basically so, sacrificing herself. Sacrifice. Yeah. She, yes, I remember she says, I'm no longer afraid. I re- I accepted my fate. And yeah, so she kind of takes the witch. But then the little he critter just, guy. Yeah. He, uh, the, the he process, takes advantage of, yeah, of and, yeah. Uh, burrows into mention, his body. In the process of this the other twin he also dies the one that like yeah. failed to protect and the little critter guy kind of does um sort of like what the alien creature did in part three kind of goes inside this guy possesses his body like literally yeah. like like crawls into his guts yeah and like takes over the guy's body and is like i'm back baby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know i assume he gets up to all kinds of uh troubling <laughs> yeah yeah one you know, favorite parts about that episode were the disturbing rat face uh thing and uh when, and when he's like he's just like yeah i'll do some drugs to fucking like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. shady opium then and they're just like yeah this will take you the afterlife he was like oh really all right like yeah. he was in like a spiritual society and they were kind of like yeah we don't have the budget for all this like and then mm-hmm. when he was like oh there's this like golden drug or whatever uh they call it and, the, and it was, they were like yeah they take it they were like no we, we don't fucking that that goes against everything that we fucking stand for it but uh, yeah, i think at that point the guy was just i mean he had been obsessing his whole life that yeah. he had failed sister yeah. so he was willing to do pretty much anything but well, this anyway. was actually uh ad- uh adapted uh previously in the masters of horror show i don't know if you remember that it was on showtime oh yeah i i remember it was masters uh directed by uh stuart gordon uh he did a he adapted a version of this it's a little different i i think this one's a little bit better uh but i yeah i don't remember i remember masters of horror i remember several episodes i remember some of the actors and actresses whatnot but i don't remember remember this adaptation yeah, i don't it was, remember it was definitely this. different uh that's for sure uh but that, it but, still had like the witch and the fucking rat-faced fucking thing <laughs> those were like yeah too important the <laughs> that rat face thing tormented you the the only other uh thing in closing i want to mention is for some reason i don't know i thought that this was like a pretty decent episode like you know i I thought that cabinets was amazing. I've already stated that several times, but on IMDb, uh, people really trashed this episode. And I, I was just a little bit surprised by that because I thought it was pretty solid. I, I liked the story. Um, I, I mean, yes, it, it was much more heavily reliant on CGI, but I thought the CGI was well done. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not really sure why it got trashed the way it did, but you know, is what it is. But, yeah. The next episode was a, I mean, if it was not for the excellent performance of F. Murray Abraham, I think that this would have been my favorite episode. This shit was my fucking jam. Yeah, well, uh, it's uh, called the who viewing. Who did this? It was uh, Panos. I'm gonna. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but Panos. Panos. Panos? He uh, did. Uh, he's an Italian Canadian uh, director who did uh, Mandy. 
Oh, okay. And yeah, now that they, you they now that you yeah. see that in your mind, you're gonna be like, oh, okay, I definitely see the style and like the and everything that was going on in uh in this episode. Uh, but yeah, it's uh stars uh Peter Weller and Eric Andre, and uh, they basically uh, he's like this recluse, um, you know, like a Howard Hughes kind of like guy. Yeah. But and, instead and, of like working on airplanes. I don't know if they really say what he he's like a collector. Yeah, yeah. Of rare art and just rare everything. Like for example, he would go out and find like brilliant musicians and pay them to like exclusively do things for him or find like um the best architects and pay them to like exclusively like work for him and like build homes just for him so yeah he was about like going out and using his wealth to like just get himself the best of everything yeah. and he was like obsessed with kind of like collecting like really rare things that no one else yeah and he could has get like their this, hands uh, on. secret room with this meteor so he invites like uh, um like all these different people that are like kind of the it's like the late 70s and it's like these yeah it's supposed to be the late people. 70s yeah, yeah I, I, late 70s early i think it was the late 70s i think they might have said 79 i'm not sure yeah he invites but, a uh, musician a astrophysicist who studies extraterrestrial life uh best-selling author and a uh psychic and he is uh with he already there besides Peter Weller is his uh position and like they just slowly start well, building yeah, up. position is kind of a very loose term yeah yeah in the relationship it kind of seemed like they might have had like a intimate romantic relationship uh yeah she definitely he says she keeps him alive but um yeah there was a lot going on there but yeah. uh then they slowly start with like they're all they all have their favorite drinks there and then like like oh then they slowly do all right smoke this fucking weed and then it was like yeah, you, all right one do thing this i just want to mention real quick it reminded me of the movie sphere you know when they're um trying to uh, assemble the team when they uh find out that they're going to uh have contact with an extraterrestrial being they assemble a team of like an anthropologist a mathematician yeah yeah you yeah. know all these people well peter weller like he goes a different route and is like yo i'm gonna get like you know um a brilliant musician and like one scientist and then like you know a psychic yeah. and like a great writer or you know something like that um a real kind of arrogant asshole writer actually yeah um and uh, we're going to all get together and instead of like, you know, sit around and talk scientifically, we're going to snort a bunch of blow. Yeah. <laughs> they like build up to it too. And, uh, yeah, and then really like the, when they do the Coke, it's like Coke and then like a, some custom drug made by. Yeah, they, they, they do trail mix. They cut it. They cut yeah. the Coke with like some other drug that's like unrecognizable on the spectrum. Yeah. But They're yeah, we're going to get them all there, like the same wavelength is what she's. Yeah. They, to say, yeah. yeah it was just yeah. really funny because, yeah. And like you said, it's obvious that like 
Peter Weller's character had been using like his vast resources to dig into every aspect of these people's lives. Yeah. Because he knew everything about them. Like, yeah. you know, like literally like to the amount of like how many lumps of sugar you would have in your coffee. Like he knew every like he knew how they would tie their shoes in the morning. Yeah. Like he just knew everything about them. And uh, you know, so they're kind of like caught off guard by that. And uh yeah, so he decides he wants to get real. I mean, dude, it was just so out there. Yeah. Like he's doing like like <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a little. But if you don't know from the movie Scarface, when Tony Montana is like sticking his head in the blow at the end, there's like this like one shot of Peter Weller, and he's just like everyone indulge, and he's got like this long ass straw, and he's just doing like this pile of cocaine. Oh, yeah, he's just, like fucking like yeah, like everybody else has yeah. like a couple lines laid out, yeah. and he's got like a pile, and he's just like everyone indulge. And the chick's like, if you've never done cocaine in your life, now is the time to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is the best cocaine that's ever been produced on a private island with, like, a security fortress around it just guarding this coke. And for some reason, we're all going to do mad blow and get as fucked up as possible as i go check out this meteor i got and now we're gonna go <laughs> check out this meteor that we're almost certain is also an alien yeah <laughs> and, and that's uh, it. and on eric andre keeps fucking lighting up a joint he keeps telling to put it out and like yeah and uh, like eventually like he's like blowing the smoke into the meteor which is <laughs> like yeah. crack open and like ooze and fucking like it just starts melting people's faces off. <laughs> like, it yeah, like, I mean, yeah, there's some like yeah. uh, John Carpenter's it going on there, like people like melting and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really hard. Like, we tried our best now to like kind of set the premise, but if you haven't seen it, it's like very hard to describe exactly what happens in the ending of this. It's just one of those things where, like, if listening to us describe this if you haven't seen it yet and you're not intrigued then like i don't know you. yeah i feel like it kind of had a similar ending to the very first episode with the creature was unleashed and then like he gets out into the world i thought it was a, a similar uh ending to that i mean there were different creatures but i mean yeah. they both yeah. end up out in the world at the end after killing everyone that's uh, around them yeah, I mean, you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but you would assume that it's going to be bad. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, this entity is obviously hostile. And, of course, the uh, Lovecraft monster from the first episode, that thing was definitely fucking hostile. But it kind of... um, The creature also uh, was possibly going to be sharing a consciousness with peter weller yeah because yeah. peter weller kind of becomes the creature and the creature kind of becomes peter weller i kind of got the feeling that this creature might be trying to like more 
observe the human race and like might have like some more mercy when like the Lovecraftian thing just wants to like you know have Cthulhu come into the world or whatever and yeah you know rain and darkness um yeah I wasn't really sure where they were going with the ending but I mean it, it was just fucking awesome yeah. like every everything was just fucking great it like it's unleashed you have to check this out yeah like I I said if you only watch one episode of cabinet of curiosity watch episode three well if you only watch two episodes of cabinet <laughs> watch three and seven yeah <laughs> that's what i would say but anyway well we're getting to the end here it is the final episode who exactly did this uh it's called the murmuring and it was uh yeah. this was based on a short by uh guillermo del toro uh it was directed by jennifer kent who did the Babadook and uh, Nightingale? Ooh, I like the Babadook. Yeah, uh, I, although I hated that annoying fucking kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it stars uh, es- Esther uh, Davis, who's uh, an Australian actress. Yeah, and I've recognized her and he Rick was in Grimes the Duke from and, uh, The Walking Dead. Yeah, Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead. Yes, uh, Rick. Yeah, uh, Rick. Rick. Yeah, this one takes place in like the uh, the fifties. And they are like studying uh, bird migrations, I guess. Or um, they're this, they're yeah, uh, a, a certain species of bird, starlings. Starling, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they are not migration. They are studying the patterns that birds make. If anybody is familiar with this, I mean, I've seen this before where birds are in like a large cluster and they kind of like in unison, like do like this, like seemingly like choreographed patterns in the sky. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. I have on like a few occasions. It's pretty fucking amazing. And uh, they were basically studying how these birds move in unison. And they have like a bunch of different theories, like from telekinesis to like all birds, like just, I don't know, having like some kind of hive mind and stuff like that. And this takes place, they go into like this old house. Like a remote country and, home by a lake. Uh, yeah. Where, do you, do you remember where it is? Because I think this was, again, like it seemed like a lot of this, uh, a lot of the stories in uh, cabinets took place in the New England area. Yeah. And I think, I think that yeah. this was also in like that area. You get like kind of like a Nantucket sort of vibe. Yeah. I'm not sure, but they like don't you specifically know, say that, it's just like I don't think so, but yeah, I, I felt like it was like along the coast. I think it was a very remote area, and um, this episode, uh, I'm conflicted by it because to one degree, I mean, I really liked um, like the Alfred Hitchcockian, if you will, like sort of vibe, like with the birds. But then it goes into a thing of haunt, uh, the haunted house that they're staying in. And also we should point out that uh, this is a man and a wife who are the researchers studying these birds. And they had recently had a tragic loss of a child. Yeah. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but it was some kind of tragic accident where they lost their child and their marriage is like really really suffering because i mean any 
any situation where you know uh, anyway yeah um, she's not really ready to talk about it and like he wants to like you know kind of move like not necessarily move on but you know restore the wants to get back to living life you know and she's just broken up so it's a very rough situation but like i guess what i would what got me was they went from being bird researchers and it went from something where like you know i was like saying like all right this is going to be the birds like the birds are going to stuff like that well then it just went into like this like really like um you know tragic story of loss of a child and like they're in like this haunted house and she's having visions of like what she believes happened there this woman who drowned her child and then committed suicide and her husband is not having these visions he thinks that she's just like really sleep depraved talks about how she hasn't slept in like a year properly and it seemed like this episode was kind of having like an identity crisis to me. Like it yeah. didn't really know what it wanted to be. What? The- yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I, I think the yeah. birds were, were definitely uh, were throwing me off as well. But yeah, it ended up just being like about like um, a woman. Loss. Who, yeah, Th- them coping loss, with yeah. loss. And sort it didn't really like, fit in uh, with the rest of them. This is the only one that kind of didn't really fit in with the rest of them. Because uh, like I thought the ghost stuff was kind of weak. And in the end, it's just yes. very basic, like, okay, like, she gets, she sees the ghost kid and is like, hey, like, run into the light. And then she sees uh, the woman throw herself off the balcony, realizing that her angry screams were in anguish over John and her son. And yeah, like, yeah. The spirit is carried by the enormous bird. So I guess that was the where the bird. Yeah, died. I guess that was yeah. supposed to be the symbolism in there. I mean, look, I. And I then, thought it was very well done. It allows her to, like, uh, you know, uh, cry and comfort her own grief. And that's when uh, yeah, she overcomes able to finally grief talk about it. Yeah. Wants to li- yeah, she wants to talk. She wants to live again. Like, you could, there was a lot of, like, sexual frustration in the marriage, too. Because, like, you could tell, like, you know, he, he wanted to be with his wife. And, like, she didn't even want to be touched. And, you know, but, yeah, in the end, she, like... Uh, is able to through the experience she's able to overcome her grief and she kind of like feels in the end like i want to live again like you know i want to get on with my life i don't because you know they're at one point like it looks like they're going to divorce or whatever but i i thought it had an identity crisis it seems like you sort of felt the same and i thought it was very well done i thought it was very well acted i thought it looked really great um but the story was just kind of meh. And, yeah, and then especially after coming after that last episode, if you watch it yeah. back, back it really like the different pacing and everything. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was extremely slow. And it just, I guess I was going to end it with the last one. Yeah. yeah. You would think, you know, you with, with a series like that, where you have a series of shorts, you want to start off with a bang, which they did, and then you want to end on a bang. You know, you want a good, a strong first, strong second, something good in the middle, like in the body. And I, I thought they had been doing that with the show, and I'm not really sure why they chose to end with this. I think uh, much better uh would have been the previous episode with peter weller that's how yeah. i think 
but hey that's uh you know that's just my opinion but uh cabinets of curiosity check so, it out uh, it was my ranking old. my ranking would be autopsy episode three the viewing episode seven then probably uh lot 36 uh kind of a toss-up between graveyard rats and pikmin's model i think those were two were, were really solid then probably dreams in a witch house the outside and then uh the, the murmuring yeah i i didn't rank mine like that but i already said hey three was my favorite seven was my number two very close number yeah. two and then i mean i just liked everything i thought it was yeah. like really cool you really should just check it all out even the ones that we said weren't that great you might have a totally different point of view but anyway thanks so much for joining us that is our take on cabinets of curiosity and uh we're going to be back soon talking about a whole plethora of content and uh you know we will uh be uh back uh well, in the not-too-distant future. It was good talking to you, buddy, and uh, we will see you next time. All right. See you next time. Peace. Peace.